From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. What was once a hotly contested rivalry continued to be a one-sided affair last weekend in the Swamp, with Florida continuing its dominance over Tennessee to improve to 3-1 on the year. But their next test will present a real change of scenery as they prepare to leave the Sunshine State for the first time. On today's show, we'll convene FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the latest romp against the Vols, the state of the wide receiving core, what makes Kentucky a significant challenge, and the most engaging athletes they've encountered in the PAT. Then, the inspiration for this week's PAT, grad transfer Antonio Valentino holds court on topics ranging from Happy Valley versus the Swamp, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and his mission to help athletes express themselves and grow their brands off the field. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. All right, let's get rolling on this week's roundtable, guys. And and I guess we'll we'll start with uh, the number just keeps growing, right? Year after year, uh, 13 of 14, 15, 16, 17 of 18 now over Tennessee. We talked last week about... Uh, how crazy that would have seemed if you had said that to someone back when this rivalry was in its heyday. Uh, but the dominance continued, and it, it wasn't that evident in the first half for sure. Uh, but in the second half, Florida showed they were clearly a much more well-balanced and complete team. I think Emory Jones really got going and kind of played the way that you know Dan Mullen uh, envisioned running the offense, uh, throwing the ball and uh, – Running the ball, got a little trickery in there with the uh, Trent Whittemore touchdown pass to Kamori Gamble. Yeah, you know, you look at those two programs, uh, they have definitely gone in opposite directions uh, really the last decade and a half. We talked about it before the game, how this once proud rivalry has turned into a very lopsided, uh, one-sided affair. And Florida uh, didn't – I mean, you know, Tennessee, give them credit. They, they had a couple of big plays in the first half. And, you know, you're sitting there, they're down, what, Florida's down 14 to 10 after the 75-yard touchdown pass. And uh, you're like, okay, where is this going? But, you know, Florida, I thought, rebounded well after that. And, of course, I give most of that to Emory and really the defense. I mean, the defense did go with those two big plays. But other than that, I thought they were pretty solid, and they did that without Kyrie Elam in the lineup. So you relied on some young guys on the opposite uh, cornerback spot from, uh, well, they got a new guy on the other side too, obviously, in Avery Helms. So your two starting corners, Jaden Hill Jr. and Kyrie Elam, for them not to be in that game and to uh, win by, uh, what, 24? So, you know, I thought overall good performance by the defense, a timely performance for Emory Jones uh, just to uh, – you know, really ride himself the last couple of games after the early season struggles with the interceptions. Uh, first game, he has not thrown an interception at Adam. Uh, so, and he ran for a career high 144 yards. So he, he, like you said, he did everything that we've talked about him doing when he's, when he's the guy 
he did that against Tennessee, and uh, I thought it was a big step for him. If you look at the two uh, touchdowns Tennessee scored, uh, one was a 47-yard screen pass where the tailback ran through, I'd say, two, maybe three arm tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, there was the 75-yard touchdown bomb. Nobody was near uh, the receiver up the left sideline. Um, probably closest defender was at the 10 yards. Two, two uh, you know, bad defensive plays. One, obviously, a blown play. But the thing about those, those are fixable. Um, now, you got to fix them, <laughs> but those are fixable. You got to make the tackle. And you had certainly, you're in position to make the tackle, make the tackle. And the other thing, don't, you know, don't have a blown coverage. Now, um, like to Scott's points, Kyrie Elam was, wasn't there. So uh, does it make a difference if, uh, if, those, if, if there's different personnel in the game? I don't know. But uh, the game probably wasn't as close uh, as, as even a 38-14 to 14 score was. But um, Florida had the only turnover of the game when Jacob Copeland caught the pass late in the first half. Otherwise, uh, they could have opened up a, a double-digit scoring lead um, potentially. Um, and it kind of kind of made it a little less um, – a little less angsty for the uh, for the swamp. I probably didn't like being. What was the score? Seventeen fourteen, I think, at halftime. Um, mm-hmm. What Scott said, Emory Jones. Um, what he did in the last three quarters against Alabama, and you stack it on top of uh, this four quarter performance against um, Tennessee. It's funny that Dan Mullen was getting questions about Florida's slow start in the game. He's like. Didn't we score on the first drive of the game? And they did. <laughs> March right down the field, scored a touchdown for Travis. Now, defense gave up those two plays, if you want to say that was a slow start. But, I mean, certainly Emory Jones didn't start slowly. Um, I think at one point, if I'm not mistaken, he was 21-25 to 25 for, uh, on th- uh, throwing the football. But um, the playbook's opening up a little bit more. There's still more to come. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. Uh, they still need to find, you know, who are the stars in the wide receiver crew? Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't think we've seen one yet. Uh, nobody is as overly distinguished themselves. They got some good players over there, obviously, but, uh, nobody's distinguished themselves like, like Kyle Pitts did at the tight end position, uh, last year. And of course, Kadarius Tony, but, um, that's subject to change. Of course, uh, going on the road, leaving the state of Florida for the first time this season. This is a, this is a good test comes, comes at a good time for this team. You know, something you just said sort of stuck out to me, too, of you know, who is the star receiver on this team. Is it possible that there, A, isn't one, and B, that that's okay? Because last year, when you're throwing the ball 50-sometimes a game, you're going to have more stars emerge. We didn't talk nearly as much about the running backs last year. Uh, this year, based on the, the construction of this offense and, and the way they're, they're racking up yards, is it possible that we're just going to be talking more about Naquan Wright and Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. So is it possible that there won't be a star wide receiver, but that maybe that's okay because of this offense? Yeah, I think there's a way that that can certainly happen. If you look at the blueprint of what they've been doing offensively uh, through four games, uh, it does seem like a receiver by committee approach so far. And that's just, you know, that's the way it happens. But again, we're only a third way into the season, Adam. A lot, of, a lot of games are still out there, and you know sometimes uh, guys don't really step up and take those kind of leadership or star roles uh, until later on. I mean, Copeland is the guy that we've talked about that the fans have pointed to as as being the most likely guy there. Uh, and you know he he's had some plays, and uh, like Chris said, the, he had a big catch the other night against Tennessee, but trying to do a little bit too much after the 
the catch and a fumbled. Uh, can't fault him for that too much. Uh, I like Xavier Henderson a lot among the young receivers. I think uh, Trent Whittemore, Mr. Utility. I mean, that was a play that if you watch that replay, uh, that was a very nice throw. You can tell yeah. he played quarterback some in high school, dropping that ball in there. I remember early in the season, Emory had a chance to throw a ball like that. He tried to fire it in there. Uh, but Whittemore did it the right way. And, of course, Emory has come along doing that now too. So I just think this is going to be – there are no Kyle Pitts on this roster, I don't think. Uh, I think it is going to be a widespread – use of a lot of talent on offense. You know, we're seeing it most tellingly in the running game with the three guys that you mentioned. Uh, none of those guys are going to get a thousand yards this year, but they all might have five or 600 around that by the end of the year. And that's, uh, that's just the way this team uh, is comprised. And I think the receiving group may have a similar look at the end of the year. I don't know if we're, there's probably not going to be one guy uh, to have a thousand yards or 900 yards receiving. Uh, but, We'll see as, as, as they evolve, and um, I just think that the key to everything we're talking about so far with the offense, to me it's the offensive line. I think they're playing at the best that maybe they've done since Dan Mullen's been here, and that's really helping everything else to get all these other guys involved and for them to make plays. Yeah, you mentioned coming up Florida leaving the state for the first time. And I do think that's important to point out because while we are a third of the way through the season, which is hard to believe, but that's you know four out of twelve. Do the math. Um, we talked about learning new things, especially the last two weeks. It was we're going to learn a lot based on how they play against Alabama, of what caliber they can play to, and then we also figured we learn a good bit from how they played against Tennessee in sort of the you know the the aftermath of the arrival, so to speak, and everybody talking about how well they played. How much more is there to learn this weekend, seeing as how the only time this team has left the Swamp, they were in front of maybe a similar number of Gator fans in Tampa. This is going to be much different. If you haven't been to Kentucky uh, for a sold-out game, it's always early in the season where, where it seems like the Gators go up there to play them. And it's uh, a couple of things are working. Usually Kentucky's played okay early in the season. They're obviously, obviously a better team now than they were a few years ago. And it's before basketball season, so people still care. So uh, uh, the, seriously, the last few years, um, Florida's gone up there for primetime games, and it, it's, it's, it's been a, a difficult environment for, for them. And obviously the last time was the, the Felipe Franks injury that introduced Kyle Trask to not just Gator Nation, to the college football landscape. Um, time before that, I want to say it was a 28-27 game. McElwain's last year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah, that was, that's right. That was the crazy game where they kept leaving Tyree Cleveland wide open. <laughs> he, that's right. He kept scoring touchdowns. That's a, that's 100% right. And yeah. um, even the, the Will Greer went up there to play and had to throw a touchdown pass late to win a game 14 to nine. Yep. Um, so uh, it's it's it there 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 are no givens. Even though um, you mentioned what was what would you say the winning streak was 17 of 18 for Tennessee. This one's yeah. 32, 32 out of 33, I believe. The one uh, hiccup is obviously fresh in a lot of people's minds because it was Dan Mullen's second game in his first SEC game on the Florida sideline. So uh, this is a this is a decent team, Kentucky. Um, they're 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 strong up front. Uh, they they can they can run the football. So Florida's defense will be tested. Um, what they do do also is they turn the ball over. Uh, they lead the nation or are last in the nation, however you want to look at it, in turnover margin. 
Uh, so Florida needs to capitalize on some things. And if you look, I don't think they had a turnover against Alabama and I don't think they had a turnover against Tennessee. Scott, can you help me out there? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of games in a row. So you have a team that, that, that is last in the country in turnover margin. Now they're facing a Florida, Florida team, which hasn't, uh, forced a turnover in either of its sec games. You got to capitalize on opportunities when they're going to be there. And, uh, Kentucky will give you some opportunities to do that apparently. No, but yeah, in terms of uh, Kentucky, uh, you know, Chris hit it on the head. I mean, this is a place it's as the old cliche go, this isn't your grandfather's Kentucky or big uh, older brother's Kentucky. This they probably done as good of a job up there in the last decade, making the it, uh, the game day experience, the environment in the stadium. I think it's probably as different and better than any other school in the conference compared to what it used to be. I mean, they, you know, they remodeled the stadium a few years ago and they got some great music. It's just a good atmosphere. Uh, so it's a tough place to go play. And, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, Emory Jones's first SEC road start. It's going to be a first road trip for a lot of guys on the team, because as you guys said, I mean, the Tampa trip wasn't exactly hostile environments. I mean, uh, it was a very pro friendly or a very good show. or a very good opponent. Let's just call yeah. it like it is. Yeah, we're a good <laughs> opponent. So uh, with Kentucky, you know, they got a quarterback, Will Levis, a transfer from Penn State, uh, really uh, doing a good job in their play-action offense. Wondell Robinson, a transfer to, from Nebraska. Uh, obviously, he's going to be a focal point for Florida's defense, a big playmaker so far. Already three 100-yard uh, receiving games in the first four. Chris Rodriguez Jr. at tailback leads the SEC in rushing. So they have the leading rusher in the SEC yards, the leading receiver in yards, uh, and they have a very good offensive line. So that's a big challenge for Florida's uh, defense. And then, of course, we all know Mark Stoops. He's really reshaped the identity of this Kentucky uh, program based on defense. I mean, there are a lot tougher defense than they used to be and you know florida has experienced that you know with some close games i mean they lost 18 the one point game and uh, up in kentucky and what 17 the 14 to 9 game of course i remember with stoops there to overtime game 36 33 when driscoll pulled it out in the end I can't yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so i mean they've had some really tough games it's not i remember used to spurger go up there and even he had a couple of tough games. One of his signature games is the Whirlpool of Doring. So yeah. uh, it's it's always an interesting place for the Gators. It does say a lot, too, I guess, about where both programs are, that if you heard the comments earlier this week from Dan Mullen and from Todd Grantham asking about the preparation for Kentucky, uh, I, I don't know if they intended to do this or this is just the way the Internet perceived it, um, that they were basically saying, yeah, at this point, Kentucky is a better program than Tennessee. Uh, which, again, 20 years ago, you'd think that was crazy. But given the way things are now, they said very clearly that Kentucky presents a lot more challenges to Florida personnel-wise than the Volunteers. So that's uh, that's the lay of the land as it is right now. Yeah, I think that's really the most the way most college football analysts view it, too. I mean, uh, it's a, I think it's a very fair statement. And then you roll into the fact that you're on the road. So right. yeah. it makes yeah. it much more difficult. Um the one question that still lingers, and it's been lingering for uh, the last few weeks now, is will Anthony Richardson be involved? Uh, again, in college football, you don't have to give out an injury report, right? You don't have to list anybody as probable, doubtful, um, so coaches can kind of play it the way that they want. Um, what is our best expectation for Anthony Richardson at Kentucky? 
Well, Dan Mullen on his uh, weekly appearance on the SEC coaches media teleconference said he's 100% ready to go. So I <laughs> think uh, they feel very confident that he is able to go. What will that mean whether he does go? I have no idea. That's one of those game time, game day decisions. I, I don't think it's even, you know, if he is healthy and can play, you know, with what Emory's doing. I mean, uh, you know, I think there's – I would expect him to take some snaps if there are truly no concerns there with his hamstring at this point. And, you know, we all saw the the video of him doing the backflip after the <laughs> yeah. game on concrete. He appeared fine. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, but at the same time, that's – that's not something they want him to be doing. You know, that's a that's a, a kid doing something like that. Hey, it doesn't hurt, but you know, we'd be in a full body cast at this point if we try to do that. If it's not uh, something they if it's not something they want him to do, maybe they should tell him not to do it anymore. Because just keep showing up everywhere. <laughs> I think I think they've told him since then probably. <laughs> but uh you know, bottom line is if Anthony Richardson can play, I mean, you gotta believe that he's gonna get some chances because uh, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, we've said it. He's the best athlete on the team. And let's face it, when he gets in there, something usually happens good for the Gators. But at the same time, it's it's just been interesting to watch Mullen manage the situation. And also Emory, to his credit, Emory doing exactly what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. He went out and asserted himself. And I think even the fans who were yelling for Richardson a couple weeks ago, I think they have to kind of respect what, Anthony or uh, what Emory's done, but we'll see how it shakes out Saturday. I, uh, I'm always, you know, we're always watching those quarterbacks, guys. Yeah, and just whatever Dan Mullen says, you just, I, I would just take it with a grain of salt relative to 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 Anthony Richardson because he let he let he led people down the path that 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 Richardson was going to play against Alabama, and I don't think that was ever going to be the case. And then he did the same thing a week ago, and you know, which is which is what coaches do. I'm it's not gamesmanship indicting him. It's, it's absolutely yeah. gamesmanship, and uh to to that point that that meant that over in those other camps they were working on Anthony Richardson kind of defenses okay how 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 are you going to play that but asked about it this week Mullen said he said they had through it was 100% for Tennessee but and then he adds he goes when you have a hamstring which is really really tricky you hear 100%, you rest him one more time, then you know he's 100% the next week. So I think there is something to that. Hamstring is like the the, the high ankle sprain in basketball. Yeah. It's just something you don't want to uh, um, you don't want to mess around with over the course of the season. It, it once once it starts to linger, it, it 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 lingers times five. So if that's the case, and he is, uh, they got through a 38 to 14 waxing of Tennessee without Anthony Richards. Good for him. But I I do think there is some caution that needs to go with people are sending me tweets like that you know they need to play this guy he's a he's a first round draft pick he's he's had he's thrown two passes against Oklahoma's third string last year mm. he's played against Florida Atlantic and USF USF may be one of the worst teams in the country so let's give this guy a fair shake here and let's not uh uh what happens if he goes up there and, 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 and he doesn't rush for 160 yards and maybe he fumbles or something like that. I I just, it's a, it's going to be a little bit different for him now um, in, in, in these games in, in the sec, especially, especially coming off this injury. I hope he's a hundred percent. I'm like, I mean, I, I hope he runs around like a crazy person, like he, like he did in those, in in those first couple of games and and can average 25 yards uh, a care. I'll I'll give Scott and I a hell of a lot to write about. Um, but I, but 
back to zero on this, I, I would like to see him play. Let's get him back out there. And all that does is just give Florida some more weapons. And then maybe that'll help uh, uh, some of these other uh, stars kind of align and show up and some of these guys step forward and, and, and see who the go-to guys on this team are going to be. Moving on to this week's PAT, it was inspired by my conversation with Antonio Valentino, which uh, which people listening will hear in, in just a few minutes. One of the most interesting and engaging athletes I've ever talked to. Um, someone who clearly has a big personality, not afraid to share it, and wants people to know that he is much more than just a guy and a number on the field making plays. Uh, and, and so it got me it got me thinking about all of the athletes that you've interviewed and spent time around over the years. And some of them, it's obvious that, you know, later they become media stars like Jesse Palmer, for example, is going to be hosting The Bachelor. Um, I don't know if when he was at Florida, people thought that was in his future, but you could tell he was an engaging guy. Some of them may be obvious based on where they've landed as, uh, as pundits, analysts in their post athletic part of their career. But I'm, I'm curious, when you think back to athletes along your journeys, which guys stood out and you realized immediately, oh, this 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 one's a little bit different. This one's going to be something more than, than just an athlete. I've said this many times. The, the best person I've ever dealt with, the most quotable and energetic and charismatic person I ever deal with is also one of the worst persons I've ever dealt with, and that's Warren Sapp. Hmm. And uh, uh, a guy's a Hall of Famer, and he would – he would talk once a week in the Bucks locker room. It was must-see interview time. Every you know, you're, you're around him and he's sitting there like Buddha, uh, and you're just <laughs> as he's just spout, just spouting off these these things. And um, the year that the Buccaneers moved their uh, training camp to Orlando, um, he and I didn't get along great to begin with. Even though I was the Orlando Sentinel writer, he always he always had to test people. Um, and kind of like uh, go at your or or give you short answers if if answers at all or anything like that. And it 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 it, it took a while to kind of break through with them. But eventually, when the Bucks were moving to Orlando, their their training camp put a request in. I wanted to do a big story on the Buccaneers training camp coming five miles from where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And damn if he didn't uh, acquiesce to that. I went to his mom's house and spent three hours with him. Uh, he was tremendous. Wow. Uh, we talked about all kinds of things from, from obviously for football, but to politics, to TV, to uh, pop culture, which we've been right up your alley and stuff. And uh, two months later, he wasn't even talking to me. So um, huh. uh, again, again, that's the kind of uh, uh, train you rode with him. Um, but it just, uh, I, he was somebody who you had to quote and you had to deal with. And it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant all the time, but sometimes it was, it was very worthwhile. And, I get that that Bucks locker room had had other tremendous personalities, strong personalities from John Lynch to Rondé Barber, smart, smart guy, Simeon Rice, who was nuts. We called it when you interviewed him, we said, you're going to planet Simeon. Uh, uh, yeah. Keyshawn Johnson was in that locker room. I mean, it was uh, uh, John Gruden was the coach, for God's yeah. sakes, uh, after taking over for Tony Dungy. So the the there were some uh, big big names in there, but uh, Warren Sapp was the the light that kind of kind of took over for everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because when Chris was covering those Bucks, I wasn't really around that team. I was around the other two professional teams in Tampa, uh, the Rays and the uh, the Lightning, and uh, I have different experiences. But it's kind of opposite of Chris. I mean, don't get me wrong. Warren Sapp. There was no Warren Sapp on either of those. When the when he was going and the Bucks were going good, that was the big story in town. And Warren Sapp was really the headliner 
in a lot of ways for that group. Uh, but you had a really good guy in the Martin St. Louis with the Lightning who won the MVP of the league in 2004 when they won the Cup. And, you know, uh, kind of a similar story with Chris, you know, but a lot different outcome. I remember going up to Montreal during the playoffs and to go do a hometown story on Martin, uh, Marty, we call him Marty, before the Lightning came up there in the uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. And, uh, you know, get to the hotel in Montreal. There was a game actually that night in Tampa. And I, I flew up because I was kind of like the, I was like the big picture guy. I wasn't having to do the, the beat rider stuff. So I flew up there and his dad comes and picks me up from the hotel and takes <laughs> me out to this bar where the whole family is there. Basically, there's about 30 of Martin St. Louis' family watching this lightning game down in Tampa. And we're up here in Montreal watching it in the spar. So it was pretty cool. And they were great. And then ever after, after I did that story, I mean, I had a good relationship with Marty before then, but, you know, we just always developed a bond. He was always just a guy I really enjoyed talking to. Just one of the really nicest professional athletes that you can imagine. Again, like I said, a little opposite of Chris's <laughs> story. Now flip that over. I've got the other opposite end of the story. Covering the Rays, there was a guy like Warren Sapp on the Rays, uh, Aubrey Huff. Mm-hmm. He was an engage. He could be a very engaging guy. Uh, he, he was raised by his mother out in Texas. I think his father either left or had died. And Aubrey was one of these guys you could tell he was kind of a insecure but yet macho image. And he would give me a hard time, you know, about just the easiest question. I'd see him at the hotel. He'd call you some name and you just had to kind of give it back to him. And eventually he kind of warmed up to me and we were okay. But at the same time, as we've seen his post playing days, he's kind of a, a loose cannon. <laughs> he goes off the deep. He's yes. not going, he's not going to the Hall of Fame like Sapp did. Either. No, no, he's not going to the Hall of Fame. He ended up having a much better career than I ever imagined. He won a World Series with the Giants in 2010. And right. then of course he, he made national headlines in 20. 12, he was still on that team. But remember, he didn't get invited to the parade or something after they released him, and uh, it made national headlines. Of course, he's made national headlines, I think, a few times since then, guys, for yeah. various things. But but at those two there, totally different ends of the spectrum, but they stick out to me. But, uh, you know, just my experience, Martin St. Louis, and he's not a guy like anything like Warren Sapp. But, uh, you know, I guess when you think about athletes and image, I mean, Muhammad Ali is kind of the guy who everybody thinks of who really created, I guess, the modern athlete as we know it, who had a voice, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a big PBS documentary out on him that just came out by Kim Burns. I haven't seen it, but oh, wow. I think the I think the model of uh, the professional athlete who can really transcend uh, sports is probably started by him. Those are definitely some engaging athletes, and luckily you guys are very engaging as well, which is why we have you here each and every week to give us the download. Uh, so again, thank you guys for giving us the latest on Florida as they prepare to take on Kentucky, and I know all that content will be up at FloridaGators.com and on the Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris, uh, coming from the Bluegrass State. Guys, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Bye, bye, Adam. Many athletes let their game do all of the talking, but some have no problem opening up and showcasing their personality at nearly every turn. 
Antonio Valentino falls squarely in the latter category, as the gregarious grad transfer from Columbus, Ohio has brought outsized energy to the defensive line and Gator Twitter simultaneously. In a wide-ranging and quite random conversation, we began by learning how he ended up on a football field in the first place. Well, uh, to be honest, it really wasn't my decision. I was diagnosed with uh, ADHD as, like, super young. like when I, So my birthday is in August, and the way that the, the calendar school year worked, mm-hmm. it was either I would have to go right into kindergarten or I would have to, like, go to, like, pre-K. Right. You were either going to be the oldest or the youngest, right? One way yeah, or the other? Yeah, yeah. So my mom uh, put me in, in pre-K because I, I just wasn't – I was just a bad little kid, man. <laughs> uh, from what I remember of my younger self, I was just so, like, I don't know. I was mainly just curious about everything. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I would get what, – what happened was I would get done with my schoolwork very fast and then just be like, oh, so now what? <laughs> like, let, right. let's party. You know what I'm saying? So right. Uh, my mom kind of saw that I needed an outlet to um, uh, express myself through. And being the oldest kid in the class, I was also the biggest kid in the class. Mm-hmm. So, you know, usually, you know, when people would see like a like a hyperactive, bigger child. They would assume that, you know, something's wrong and they would take things the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So my mom found uh, she just one day was like, hey, we're going to football practice. I'm like what's football like you know what i'm saying because uh, until then the only thing i really knew associated with football was ohio state yeah because ohio state's right down the street from my house pretty much and uh the first game i remember watching was the o2 national championship when they played miami and won yeah. and uh that was kind of like really how i was introduced to it just seeing how my family reacted to everything and all that stuff and then one day my mom was just like yeah we're going to practice we gotta go get your equipment fitted she kind of forced me into it and i'm uh I'm very glad that she did. Yeah. Very glad that she did. It paid off. Were there other sports you played in addition or were you just focused on football? Oh, yeah, man. When I was a kid, I uh, I, I played basketball uh, and baseball. Um, was not very good at either. Well, I take that <laughs> back. I take that back. I was I was taller than everybody, so I was a good I was good at first base and third base. Right. Because I could reach out. But basketball, <laughs> I ain't have no jumper coordination with the ball couldn't do nothing with my left hand <laughs> at all uh and i remember in middle school uh one of my best friends got me into uh wrestling because he, he was from uh pennsylvania mm-hmm. and he's from erie so they uh they his whole family like wrestled and all that stuff so he got all of us into it and then i stopped wrestling i stopped playing baseball when i was a kid like before middle school um Stopped playing basketball even before that. And I stopped. I started wrestling in seventh grade and I stopped before my junior year in high school. You said high school has nearly started to get it and you started to understand more of the game and, and where you fit into it. I assume that's also where you started to realize this could be an outlet to, you know, to take you places. Um, so. What do you remember about that process when recruiting got started, when you started getting offers and, and how you kind of processed all of that? I'm at school and my coach calls me one day. It's like the last period of the day. I just had like a little study hall period. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm just chilling in Mr. Boyd's room doing my work. He's like, all right, cool. Uh, come in my room. Uh, coach Terry from uh, Penn State is here. I was like, I never. I looked straight at my phone like, from where? Yeah. He was like, 
You serious? <laughs> you talk, talking to me? <laughs> I'm like, are you, are you being for real? I was like, all right, I'm yeah. on my way. Walk right around the way. Because come to find out, they thought I was short because everybody I played against was my height or taller. So they thought I, they thought I was lying on my huddle that I was oh, like five wow. ten. So that they, I mean, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. Like I'm six two, like on a good day. You know what I'm saying? Six three on the best day. But they thought I was like five foot ten. So I, uh, they sent Coach Terry just like literally to get eyes on me physically <laughs> to see if I was tall. Was it awkward when you pulled out a measuring tape? <laughs> oh no, no, no. We took what we what they did was we took a picture. <laughs> he was like, yeah, man, take a picture. And I was like, all right, bet. I'm all happy. I'm like, yo, Coach Penn State coach came and saw me. Man, little do I know I'm getting sized up. Right. I'm like, all right, they know cool. how tall he is, and they could look at yeah, him yeah. compared to him. Yeah. After that, then like that's when Coach Spence followed me and all that stuff. We just started talking. The ne- then that next weekend, I'm on my official at Penn State. Had a great time. Again, shout out my boy Sterling. <laughs> my man Sterling hosted me, showed me a great time. Uh, you know, obviously, Happy Valley is a great place to be. Mm-hmm. So it, this is what I knew. This is why I knew I was going to Penn State. So my mom isn't the most emotional person. Like she won't. When my mom cries, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So we're walking in the stadium, and they do this thing where it was at night, and it was in the winter. So it's like dead quiet. For those who don't know, um, because it doesn't snow down here. When it snows, set the sound of everything is kind of muffled. So mm-hmm. outside is very, very, very quiet sometimes. So we walk in, uh, we're in the stadium. We're walking through uh, the tunnel where we come out. And Coach Franklin bangs on the little door. They open the garage door. We walk out. They're playing the music. And he opens the gates and we walk out on the field, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm walking around. And it's the biggest stadium I've seen in my life. Yeah. I'm like, yo, how many people? Because the only really stadium I ever saw was Illinois Stadium uh, and the Shoe, which is Ohio State Stadium. I'm like, this is the only two stadiums I've ever been in. So I'm walking around looking. I'm like, yo. I'm like, they would fill this thing up to see me play, possibly? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm tripping. I turn around and look at my mom. Like, I'm trying to say, I'm like, yo, this is crazy, ain't it? I'm at, like, the 30-yard line on the Mm -hmm. field. She didn't make it out of the end zone. She's crying, like, wow. hard. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that, like, this is where we are now. Like, I can't believe that, like, you have the chance to play in here and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, well, I guess it's pretty open and shut now. And then right. that, the, that Sunday we had the meeting with Coach. She was like, well, so how would you like it? Blah, blah. I'm like, I loved it. He was like, so what you going to do? You going to come here, you know, be part of the family, whatever? I'm like. Yeah, and then boom. Then the next thing you know, I spent the next five years at Penn State. Had a great time. <laughs> so okay, so what went into your decision to transfer? I mean, and and now if, if you don't want to talk about why transfer, what made Florida the right place for you to go after five years at, at Penn State? Uh, mainly, I don't have an issue speaking with it because there's no you know bad blood or any tension between me and anybody mm-hmm. you know at Penn State. I think that. Penn State is a is a wonderful place to be. I think you're gonna go there, you're gonna play great football, get coached by great coaches, you're gonna be at a school that cares greatly about football. And if you value your education and take advantage of everything, you're gonna walk out with a with a with a, a Penn State degree and that means something. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go home, my degree, my de- my degrees are sitting right there. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's something I could be proud of because I'm the only person in my family to go to college and graduate. Hmm. You know, yeah. I, you know, that's that's something that I could be proud of because 
I guess you could say I broke a, a cycle, so to speak, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've now, you know, I got younger siblings and I think that now I've set the standard for them, yeah. you know, then that, that's, that's, that's what I'm uh, mostly proud of with that. So you're going to go somewhere and play great football, great environment, great tradition. You can get a great degree with the biggest alumni base in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I think that, I thought that I had done everything that I had come to do uh, when I was at Penn State. I, I was a two-year starter. Uh, I graduated. I got my degree. Uh, I, I kind of just felt like, you know, I had done everything that I had come to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, the you know, luckily the NCAA gave us that COVID year back, um, you know. And I also kind of felt like I needed, I think I think I just needed a change of scenery something new you know and that's not to say that Penn State wasn't good to me because they Mm -hmm. were everybody there was so I think I just needed something something new and something like a a fresh start so to speak you know I don't know what it was I just I've been praying about it and I I think that you know God was pointing me in this direction you know for a reason and I uh, put my name in the portal and you know that that that's not a very like easy decision Mm-hmm. to do like i don't think people really understand like the risk that's associated with that like that's an extreme risk because you know like you don't know how these coaches really from other schools feel about you you don't even know if they know who you are right you know what i'm saying I, i'm not a guy i've never been a guy that's made you know a cr- like crazy plays all the time like i'm not right. i'm not the guy to have four or five sacks in a game like, that's not me you know so in my head i was I was extremely stressed out and bugging about it for a long time, just really considering it. Um, but I talked to, you know, people who are very close to me, uh, you know, people who I trust, some very, very close good friends of mine, you know, my parents and everybody. And, you know, they were like, if this is how, if this is what's on your heart and this is how you feel, because I don't, I don't make very irrational decisions. I don't just, I don't jump the gun and, you know, make irrational decisions like that. They're like, if you've been thinking about this for, you know, a little while and, you know, you really trust yourself and you trust yourself. Mm-hmm. If this is what you feel that you need to do. You know, that's what you need to do. And, you know, when I was in, when I was in the portal, you know, luckily I got shown more attention when I was in the portal than I did when I was in high school. It, came kind of, <laughs> it felt really weird. I'm like, dang, is this what it feels like to be a five star? <laughs> so, um, you know, what made uh, the University of Florida the right place for me to go is number one, uh, Coach Mullen's leadership. I believe what he has to say because, you know, pretty much any time he talks to me about things, just, you know, asking me, because, like, you know, outside looking in, he, he, you know, he likes to have, you know, perspective because I'm a new guy in the program mm-hmm. coming from another program. He was like, you know, what are the differences between here and there, blah, blah, blah. And usually the, the things that default that I always defer to is just like, coach, you got two national championships. At the end of the day, like, what what am I going to tell you? You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Coach, you, you've been to the mountaintop twice. You went there twice in three years. That's not an easy thing at all to do, let alone do it once do, or do it twice. You know, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And, you know, the, the I would also say the biggest thing is all the coaches that I spoke to were extremely honest with me. You know, sometimes you can kind of uh, – well, for those who haven't been recruited, sometimes there's uh you can kind of get used car salesman vibes. Yeah. They just say 
they say what they know you want to hear, but it doesn't yeah. mean it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, everybody's heard, oh, you're going to come in here and start right away. Yeah. Oh, you know, all that type of stuff. So, you know, they were extremely honest with me. And Coach Mullen told me when I was on the phone with him, he was like, hey, man, he said, look, we have a need at your position. We got two guys leaving for the NFL. We need depth at the position. We like the way that you play. We think you can come down here and help us win some football games. You can compete at the highest level in the SEC, X, Y, and Z. He was like, you know, if that's something that sounds, you know, interesting to you, you know, it's interesting to us. And I thought about it, and I I, I talked to him one time, and I talked to him again. And, like, I, I talked to my mom after I talked to him the first time. I was like, Mom, I ain't going to lie to you. I was like, if they tell me I got a they, they got a spot for me, I'm going. I was like, I kind of want to get this out of the way, like as quick as I possibly can, because what I didn't want to have happen was me be sitting in the portal for months or have it be too late. Because I'm like, I need to go somewhere now and learn this playbook. Right. So I was like, Mom, they tell me I got they got a scholarship for me. I'm going. Talked to coach like I think the next day, and I told him the same thing. I said, Coach, you tell me I got a spot. I'm I'm, I'll I'll see you in a few weeks. He was like, all right, then I'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs> and then next Deal. thing I know, me and my dad are driving 13 hours down here. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Not too many people have had the chance to play in, in environments like both Happy Valley and the Swamp, right? Two of the premier environments in college football. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to ask you which one is better because I don't think that's fair. What I would ask you is how are they different? Both of them at peak. Is noise just noise or are the environments unique in some way? Oh, man. It's it's distinct. Like, it's two distinct energies. It's like two different categories of energy. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them is, is better than the other and neither one of them is, is worse than the other. So it's like, I think because, you know, when most people, you know, talk about Penn State, they, they talk about the whiteout. Yeah. And I think it's because the whiteout is such a thing. It's a thing. Like, yeah, that's the biggest recruiting weekend. It's the biggest game of the of the, of the season. You know, is it just once a year? Is there only one yeah, whiteout a year? It's, it's once a year. Okay, and so it depends like, who the biggest game that year is. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's all it's all used. When I was there, it was always Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah. Um, and it was it's always a big game. You know, college game day is going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a night game. You know, everybody's going to be watching. It's millions of people watching this game. And it's hyped up, and it absolutely delivers. Mm-hmm. Like, you walk into the stadium, and, like, just the, 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 like, I just got chills, man. Like, <laughs> the, like, the, 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 the stands start filling up, and it's just, you just see it growing and growing and growing. And you, you walk out of the tunnel for warm ups, you turn around, and the whole student section is full, and it's a whole yeah. end zone, and it's just white. It's a sea of white. Like, it's just it, – it It looks like it's never going to end. <laughs> but as far as – when as far as the swamp, it's different because – so it, it's mainly different because of the construction of the stadium. So mm-hmm. Penn State's – the sidelines are bigger and the stands go, like, out, right? Instead, Instead of up. up. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like, the, the swamp is more up and it's one solid piece – and everybody's on top of you. Mm-hmm. So at certain points, when it's really rocking in there, it feels like you're inside of a TV. Like that, that that's like that's the best way I can put it. Like when your helmet is on, it echoes inside of your helmet. And it feels like you're inside of a TV with like just the, like the static on. 
Yeah. It feels like you're – like, it's just – it's unbelievable because, like, these Gator fans are crazy, man, mm-hmm. in the best way possible. <laughs> like, it's so it's so crazy to me. Like, my mom actually told me that. She was like, how, how, how like, crazy is it that you have the opportunity to play in two stadiums that are extremely historic? Mm-hmm. Like, multiple generations of incredible players have come through both of these stadiums. It's like, how many people can say that they were able to play in both of these? You know, and it's not something that I take for granted. It's, it's definitely a huge blessing. I'm very fortunate. You know, there's a lot of guys who uh, who maybe you don't know that well because they don't put themselves out there that much. Um, you are not that guy. You are extremely active on social media. You engage mm-hmm. constantly. Um, what, what is what does that give you? Because a lot of guys don't do that. What is it? What does it give you to be? that open and inviting of people and, you know, and, and starting conversations and stuff like that? Well, I think one of the most, one of the problems uh, facing athletes now is we're, I think we're very misunderstood, you know, with, with, with certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're misunderstood because people don't really know us. And I think people don't know us because we really don't give them the opportunity to know us. So that's just how I've learned how to communicate with people. It's like, if you know somebody better, you can most, you're, you're more likely to know where they're coming from. It's like your best friend can say, like, you can be mean mm-hmm. to your best friend, but you guys know you're playing around type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, there's certain things that you say to your best friend that you don't say to, you know, a stranger or an acquaintance. Right, right, right. Not saying I'm trying to be, be everybody's best friend, but <laughs> one thing I don't like is miscommunication. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is what that's how a lot of things on social media kind of get thrown around and things get misquoted and all that other stuff. And it's just like, dude, it's just a ton of miscommunication going on right now. And that's like, you know what I'm saying? Basically, yeah. I want people to know where I'm coming from. And I also want people to know that I'm not just some type of robot. Like, I'm not just some football meathead. Right. That like, you know, that. All I do is line up and hit people. Like I do other things. Like I'm, I'm very much so into other things, and I kind of also want to do that to, you know, encourage some, of, you know, my fellow athletes to do that as well. Like, dude, like there's more to you than the jersey that you put on. Yeah. As much as you're comfortable, you have to expose that to people a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And like when people start being weird, just draw the line, just block them. Like it's so, <laughs> it's so easy. It's so like, I used to go back and forth with people all the time and I'm just like, ah, you're weird. And I just block them. Click. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm just like, hey, what's that going to do? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because it's like, look, I find peace in the fact that like half of the things that you say on it, not even half, 99% of the things you say on the internet, you wouldn't say to my face. So right. I find peace in that. And it's like, mm-hmm. what are you, how are you going to tell me to do what I do, but you can't do what I do. And that's not, that's not trying to be like, Oh, you can't do what I do. I'm X, Y, and Z. Like, no, that's right. not what I'm saying. Like, I can't tell an astronaut how to be an astronaut. <laughs> I can't tell a pilot how to fly a plane. I can't do what they do. Right. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's like, I don't mind being open. It's part of my personality. I'm not open about everything, but I'm what, what I'm comfortable enough about. I say things, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, I just, I don't mind. I don't mind letting people see another side of me because I think that number one, I think that that can open uh, doors and give you more opportunities outside of football because, you know, the Florida Gators take care of their own and, you know, 
football matters down here. And I think that you'll be, you know, once football's over, people will definitely take care of you. And that just off the strength of that. But I think that you have to do things and offer things that separate you from the rest of the pack. Yeah. So one thing that I gathered from uh, from following you on, on Twitter is you got a lot of love for the macho man. Oh, um, dude. Tell yeah. me, tell me where, where does, where does this come? Where does this love for the macho man come from? So I was a huge wrestling fan when I was a kid, like mm-hmm. huge wrestling fan. Now, not so much just because they, they kind of like cleaned it up. <laughs> it's more family friendly. Like that's not what I'm here for. Like I, I, the attitude era. Yes. That, yeah. like, yes. I was, I came in like when I first got exposed, everything was like at the kind of like the tail end of like the attitude stone era. cold. Yes. The rock. So. DX, yeah. DX is the best tag team in WWE <laughs> history. I'm not hearing nothing else. Um, but, like, I don't – just the way that uh, Macho Man would just command attention, like, a lot of people don't know. It's not easy to, like, get in front of a camera or a microphone no. and, like, be able to ad-lib like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's extremely difficult. Like, these personalities that these guys put on, it's, it's crazy. So I, Macho Man is just one of my favorites because the things that he says are just so off the wall. And I'm like, yeah, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I just I just agree with it. Like him and like the ultimate warrior, like yeah. he would just get on there and like snort and just say <laughs> random, like cryptic things. And I was just like, yo, dude, this is kind of hard. Like, <laughs> like I kind of like that. And like, I just I spent a lot of time on the Internet. Like I spent a lot of time on YouTube. So most of the time I just watch, uh, like a lot of, I watch a lot of those types of things, like before a game or like when I need like inspiration or something like that. Um, a couple of final things for you. I mean, outside of, uh, <laughs> outside of wrestling, what are other things that you're into? You clearly have a lot of interests outside of football. So when you do have that time to, to switch gears, where do you go? Mainly, mainly to, uh, some sort of visual or like auditory art form. Mm-hmm. Like I love, like I spend like a lot of time listening to music. I try to find different sounds, try to find different like artists and all types of different stuff, man. Like I'll spend hours on YouTube going down rabbit holes, just trying to find something new that will excite me. You know, obviously, you know, I have my, uh, I have my, my Instagram page, Groovy TV that I, uh, I upload all the videos and photos that I make. I had an internship when I was at Penn State, and that kind—I of, think that was actually kind of like the spark. Because like mm-hmm. once I, because I have, I've always had ideas in my head about things, um, but once I actually was instructed on how to use the tools, you know, I could. And I figured out I could bring my ideas to life and actually see the thought that I had in my head on the screen. It kind of like it blew my mind mm-hmm. because I think it's one thing to go out there on a practice field and practice a play. You know, it's like, all right, if I get it wrong, I could, you know, do it again. It was like, but right, like, I know, right. I know it, it's just, it's different because I'm, I, I'm being judged on my physical performance. Right. Your physical performance is something that you can practice on more. But I think when you have an idea, when you pull something out of thin air and you make it happen mm-hmm. and then you share it and people enjoy it, that's such a crazy feeling. I, I I don't know. I can't imagine being like one of these artists that like sell out arenas on tour and stuff like yeah. that. Like I just I couldn't even imagine. But I uh, I like to do that. I like to take 
obviously I take photos and make videos and I it, mainly where my inspirations come from on that is I, I watch a lot of music videos. Um, I've always been doing that since I was a kid. Like I just, that was something that always uh, interests me because I think that you can't, how you hear a song can be affected by the visuals that are associated with it. Yeah. Like I saw Kanye West on tour uh, it was the St. Pablo tour while I was at Penn State my freshman year. Was that the floating stage tour? Yeah. Yeah, I was. saw that too. It, that that was weird. <laughs> it, it was the, like, it blew my mind. Just, like, seeing that and, like, hearing it, like, it made me hear the album differently. Mm-hmm. I, it's almost like, dude, like, he's on a stage and, like, he's floating around people. And, like, the lights, it was, oh, you yeah. Had to, if you went to the tour, if you went to the show, you know. But I, I spend a lot of time trying to tap into that part of myself. That's like, I know I can make things that make that, that'll draw emotion out of people. Mm-hmm. That that's like the biggest thing that, um, that I notice when it comes to my, uh, to like my content It's kind of, I want try to pull emotion out of people. Like mm-hmm. whatever emotion I'm going for, like, I want people to feel it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I spent a lot of time doing that and brainstorming on that. And, you know, luckily the creative team, like Kev, Randy, Jordan, Vinny, all those guys up there, they're like the the best, like the best. Like they've been nothing but good to me since I got here. So I'm super, I'm super thankful for them because they are, they're, they're helping me develop outside of the field as well. Yeah. You know, that's something I'm always going to be thankful for. I'm super appreciative of that. I, I want to finish with uh, bringing it back to football. Um, I could, I could very likely talk to you for hours. Um, but, but we do have to land the plane. Um, so I I would ask you this, you're, you're obviously an older guy. You have a lot of experience, but you're new to this locker room. So can you talk about your role as a guy with so much experience and, and so, and such maturity, how do you lead people when you haven't been here and grown with them? How is that? How have you developed into that? Well, I think the very first thing that you have to do is you have to let your actions speak louder than your words. You've got to be one of the hardest working guys in a program. And I think I I showed my work ethic throughout mat drills in the winter, through spring ball, through summer conditioning, through camp. I try to be as consistent as possible with how I work and, and how I treat people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I operate off of respect. You know, I, I'm not a very disrespectful person because I don't like being disrespected. So, you know, that's just not something I do. You know, I treat everybody the same way. You treat the you know, Mr. Chris, who, who is somebody uh, who I don't want to call him a custodian, but he, he helps out with the maintenance of the stadium. You got to mm-hmm. treat him the same way that you would treat, you know, our athletic director. Mm-hmm. You know, you treat everybody the same way. You treat the equipment guys how you treat your coach. But I also think that my job mainly is to provide perspective to guys. Like, because everybody inevitably has days where they're just like, I'm not feeling it. I'm not trying to do this. I hate the fact that we do this. Why? Like, it's camp. Why is this the whatever, whatever practice in a row? Yeah. And I'm like, look, man, it could always be worse. Because, I, you know, I've seen a lot of things, um, you know, just I've been around the block, so to speak. And it's like, trust me, I know how this is going to go. Like, I've seen this before. Just little things, man. 
just super little things, just giving guys little nuggets of like reassurance, you know, just whatever, whatever, you know, my team needs from me, you know, I'm willing to give that to them. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's not a problem for me because the uh, one of the main things that I, I said uh, to Coach Muller and Coach Turner and Coach Grantham when I got here is that I wanted to win a championship. And there are certain sacrifices that are required to win a championship. And it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that you're going to be asked to do that you may not want to do, certain sacrifices that you're going to have to make. Um, but, you know, without, you know, sacrifice, no, no struggle, no progress. Yeah. Basically, my, my role in the locker room is just be an older guy, be consistent, you know, on the field, place it a getter standard. And, you know, uh, help others with me, you know, playing to that standard and, you know, off the field being a, a shining, a shining example of what players at the University of Florida are like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's also part of the reason uh, why I, uh, I, I branch out on social media as well is because I don't want people to see me as one dimensional. That's one thing I, I, I can't stand is trying is like when people try to box other people in, it's just not something that I really like. But uh within the program, I think I'm just I'm just a guy that my job is to do my job. <laughs> I gotta show up every day, do my job, be consistent, and you know, echo what coach is saying and just overall, man, just try to bring as much good energy as I possibly can. Because you know, Coach Mullen said if you're having a if you're having a bad day. There has to be somebody that has to pick you up. And if mm-hmm. you're having a good day, it's your job to pick somebody up. Right. So, you know, it's my job to just help my team, you know, however necessary and show, you know, these coaches that they were correct and, you know, taking the risk of, you know, taking me out of the portal and really showing them how appreciative I am of uh, of having the opportunity to be a Florida Gator. Well, Antonio, you brought it to Gator Tales. So today you brought it. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, Gator Nation is happy to have you. No problem, man. I appreciate everything, all the love and all that stuff since I've been gotten down here. And uh, I feel great. I moved all the way across the country. It hasn't been easy, yeah. but everybody who I've you know interacted with and been you know been around has been nothing but good to me. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.